Ladies and gentlemen, what does a bike have in common with a happy hour? If you said the handlebar, you are correct, which in addition to being part of a bike, it is a bar here in Chico, California with a happy hour, seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m., during which you get a dollar off all of their draft beers. They have 28 on tap, an excellent selection of craft beers. Again, that's the handlebar. They're right here in Chico at 2070 East 20th Street. They open every day at noon, and their happy hour is from 2 to 6 every single day of the week. So go check them out, the handlebar. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie podcast based usually in Chico, California. My name's Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us again this week. This week on the show, we have our review of Wes Anderson's latest movie, The French Dispatch. It's the story of a fictional publication inspired by Anderson's love of The New Yorker, starring Bill Murray, Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton, Owen Wilson, and Jeffrey Wright, along with many, many, many others. And then after that, Max is drinking a beer he picked up in Reno, Nevada called Cutthroat Cream Ale from Imbibe Custom Brews. Am I saying Imbibe right? You are indeed. Cool. And then you're going to hear my take on the latest Marvel film, Eternals. It is the 26th installment now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which we've both kind of admitted, my friend, to feeling a bit of fatigue on. But I went in with high hopes knowing that this was directed by Chloe Zhao, the director of last year's Nomadland, and a movie that you and I both really loved. Nice. Well, and my beer that I'll be drinking is called, an, uh, yo, we got to eat this avocado, that <laughs> avocado right now. Uh, it's an IPA from a, a brewery and distillery called Seven Stills, and they're out of San Francisco, California. Yeah, I mean, that's got one of those weirder names where I'm kind of bummed that I'm not able to try that with you this week because we are recording separately, but I will, I'll survive, I suppose. Um, if you find yourself listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, you unfortunately won't be hearing our entire episode. You're only going to get the first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of the French Dispatch. That's right. But to hear our full conversation, which includes spoilers for the French Dispatch, my review of that IPA from Steven Sills, Max's thought on Eternals, plus more than 200 other episodes of this year podcast, head to any of the following places. Yeah, you can find us on Spotify or SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. We drop new episodes every single Friday morning at 10 a.m. If you do like the show, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and or a review. It helps other people discover our podcast. Follow us on the gram for all kinds of pictures and little videos and fun, weird stuff that we post on there. Mm -hmm. Letterboxed for film reviews and untapped for beer reviews, all findable, searchable at Fresh Hop Cinema or our website, freshhopcinema.com. Yeah, and if you got slightly more words to throw our way, go ahead and send us an email to fhccast at gmail.com. If you want to be cool like some of our breweries do, you'll write us an email. If all that in your ears isn't enough, check out our Patreon that is where you, our loyal listener, can help fund this here podcast and you get access to all kinds of bonus content that we do every single week and bonus series like how movies are made, bonus beer reviews, top five lists, bonus movie reviews. Sometimes we talk about nothing at all and it gets absolutely wild. We also host events for our patrons. You get first shot at merch. We have one coming up pretty soon. So it would be a good time to consider joining if you were on the fence. For as little as $1 an episode, you can get in the coolest club around. That's our Patreon. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Fresh Hop Cinema. Yes, indeed. Okay. That is enough promo, I think, my friend. So let's get into, uh, the, well, I guess not not as business as usual, but I'm going to be drinking a beer by myself 
this week, and I found one from Imbibe Custom Brews that's here in Reno, Nevada. I was out looking at my favorite spot craft here in town, and to my knowledge, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time we've done an Imbibe beer on the show. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, it does. Okay, well, like many great breweries, this one began as a home-brewing passion between the co-founders, Matt Johnson and Jason Green. I was looking on their website. They pride themselves in making all, all sorts of different beer styles. Their website states, quote, there is always a beer on our tap list that will please every palate. And over the years, they've made and won awards for things like their Flanders Red Ale called Distemper, their Lambic-style ale called Triad, and their Berliner Weiss called Huckleberry Nevada Weiss, which is a very fun one to say out loud. Um, they do, of course, have a smattering of hoppier offerings that rotate in their two tap rooms. They have one here in Reno and one just outside Reno in a city called Sparks. Um, but when I was at Craft today, there's one in particular that caught my eye, and it's called Cutthroat Cream Ale. As you might imagine, it is a cream ale. <laughs> it's 5%. And um, Untapped had this to say. They said, it's an easy drinking ale made with corn and lightly dry hopped. It's our lawnmower beer, which which is an okay description, but it does leave quite a bit to the imagination. So... To shed some light on the origins of this beer, here's Matt Johnson, the co-founder of Imbibe. Hey, this is Matt Johnson with Imbibe Custom Brews. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our cutthroat cream ale. Uh, the beer itself, we've been making actually for about six years. Uh, we just gave it a name finally about um, four years ago. We used to just call it cream ale. Now it's called cutthroat cream ale. And that's meant to... Uh, honor and recognize Nevada's native fish, one of Nevada's native fish, the Lahontan cutthroat trout. We really uh, made this beer and worked with some local nonprofits to try and promote restoring Lahontan cutthroat trout habitat. And so ultimately, the beer is uh, really just a very easy drinking American cream ale. Nothing. Um, no adjuncts added to it. It's it's really a light, easy drinking, what we would call a fishing beer. And we do donate a portion of the proceeds from the sale of that beer to conservation efforts in Nevada. Right now, we work most closely with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, which is a great conservation organization that's nationwide, but we work directly with the local chapter here in Nevada. So that's a little bit about the Cutthroat Cream Ale. Hope you get to try it and enjoy this wonderful fishing beer. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you taking the time to, to give us that voice memo. It was super helpful. I do want to drop a quick link in anybody's ears. If you are interested in that sort of conservation, you can go to back, uh, let's see, backcountryhunters.org. You can find out more there. I, though, I'm going to spend my time exploring this beer. Um, do it. Tell me about it. I, yeah. Since we're not, I don't have one. I don't know what the can looks like. What's the art like? I'm, I'm flying blind here. I am going to describe it, but I think that you should look it up because I think you'll really enjoy this can. It's one of those minimal sort of designs, and it's a jet black can. It's a 16-ounce can, and it's got a cutthroat fish on the front in sort of a geometrical design that's made up of little half circles and triangles and lines, and it just says cutthroat cream ale on the front. Good for fishing, good for fish, which is, I think, a really lovely uh, approach to making a beer. Why not give back to the community and, and conserve stuff? That's awesome. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I have it now. Um, so I have to throw this disclaimer out too, that I am drinking my beer today out of hotel room, um, coffee mugs, one coffee mug. Nice. And I was trying to be more prepared, but they don't necessarily stock the rooms with proper glassware, you know? That's where you just get on the phone, you dial zero and say, I need a crystal tulip glass <laughs> to room 225 yeah, immediately. Right. Um, so I'm going to taste this here, but are you a fan of cream ales in general? Not 
pretty much no. I'm going to say no. Um, before I was lactose intolerant, um, they were on my radar a bit. It's not something I've ever really sought out. Um, lactose, I feel, is important sometimes and sometimes not, but also not all cream ales have lactose, which is right. a really weird thing. Um, by and large, though, they're definitely not a style I seek out. I have tried some of the more popular offerings like uh, Cali Creamin. Yeah. From Mother Earth. And then one that really comes to mind is the Pelican uh, Kiwanda Cream Ale from, um, oh, God, I think it is just Pelican Brewing out yeah, it of might be. Uh, yeah. Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to their their brewery there in Pacific City. So those are the ones I'm familiar with. Don't have a huge sample size. Uh, what is your experience like with Cream Ales in general? Are you a fan? Do you have like a top 20? I don't know that I have a sample size of 20. I will say, I don't know that I've ever had a cream ale with lactose. Maybe one that was really trying to, um, I don't know, dive into that sweetness. Cause they can be really sweet a lot of the time, but most mm -hmm. of the time it's just from that corn that gives it that kind of smooth, almost creamy mouthfeel. So I think that's kind of, it's more like a, like a marketing thing. Like I can't think of another example in beer, but it's like cream ale. Like look how creamy and smooth it is. Um, I mean, that makes sense. If it's I, just like an outright descriptor. Totally. I dig them, man. Um, there's one, that's almost always on tap at our friends over at the handlebar have. And that's the, the Cali Creamin, which I think is so tasty. They're often pretty low in ABV. They're smooth and like admittedly they're sweeter, but if you're in the mood for that kind of thing, I think it's tough to beat a cream ale. Fair enough. Well, have you gotten a chance to dig into imbibes cutthroat cream ale yet? I have, man. I just had my first drink. It's, um, it's really obviously really light. It's not quite as sweet as I was expecting. There's more of like a, a, a malt forwardness that I kind of dig it, it almost toes the line as far as mouthfeel goes, like almost with like a, like a Pilsner or some kind of lager. Like it's got that kind of crispy outdoor factor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I dig it, dude. Um, it was also pretty affordable. I got a four pack uh, in craft and, you know, for the bang for the buck and the price and the local sort of um, benefits for this, I think it's so far, at least I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. That's cool. I didn't even realize that there was a brewery in Reno that I hadn't heard of. So that kind of makes me yeah. want you to bring back more and we can do them on a regular episode where we can both enjoy the same beers. Totally. I actually, I almost grabbed another brewery and I won't, um, I won't steal, uh, imbibes time with this, but I'll, I'll bring back some stuff and we can do it in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd like that. Um, nice. yeah, this is a solid beer. I'm, I'm happily going to drink more of it. Um, I'm pouring one more little bit into my glass here. I wish I could describe what it looked like more, but the, um, nature of my coffee mug is preventing me from doing that. I, I can say off the bat that it's not holding too much of a head and it's pretty bubbly. It's, it's pretty effervescent in my mouth. And I could maybe use a little bit more of that creamy mouthfeel because it does mm. drink a bit more, like I was saying, like a, like a bit of a lager. Mm. So it's. It's real light. Is it creamy enough that you would think cream ale? Like, do you think that's good advertisement, false advertisement? No, I think that's fine. I think it's definitely fair. There's no mistaking that that's what it is. But comparing it to my go-to, which happens to be Cali Creamin, it's just not quite on that same sweetness level, which for, depending on the beer drinker you are, might be perfect. Some people would be like, yeah, cream ale is too sweet. Not for me. This, if you do like that kind of smoother mouthfeel and some of those sweeter notes, but not overpoweringly so, this might be the perfect beer. Well, that's good to know because, yeah, sometimes you're in the mood for really sweet. Sometimes you want something a little bit crispier, and it sounds like that That definitely – I mean, if they're calling it their lawnmower beer, it's got to right. be super refreshing. All yeah. Right. Well, interesting. Well, I'm glad you tried this brewery. I want you to get out to the brewery and get stuff from the source. Yeah. Yeah, I'm stoked to try some of their, their sour stuff because that's sort of what they talk about the most on their website are their, okay. their sour ales and their barrel-aged stuff and – 
when I was looking over their accolades, that seems to be kind of what their their bread and butter is, so to speak, in terms of winning awards. I, they won a bunch at the GABF and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, if I do stop by, I'm, I might even have time on this trip. I will, I'll bring some stuff back for, for us. Nice. Well, until then, uh, what's your overall uh, impression? And uh, let's rate this thing. Well, you rate this yeah, thing. I'm sure. just going to listen. Uh, dude, I like it a lot. It's super good. It's as my taste for a cream ale goes, I could use a little bit more sweetness, but it's in no way a bad beer. I would happily drink it again. Out of 10, I'm going to go with a solid, I'm going to go a solid seven, man. I think it's real good. Nice. Definitely above average beer. Is this something you think you'll revisit in the summertime? That's the other thing. I was trying to factor this in because as you know, I live in the town that you live in, which what's the temperature like today? Uh, today it's chilly. It's uh, like a, a balmy 59 degrees. Yeah, well, I woke up to like a 48 degree day here in Reno. And so I was thinking like maybe this would have been a better day for a, you know, a heavier beer. But I think, yeah, spring, summer, this is going to be great. So yeah, I would for sure go for it again in warm weather, definitely. Nice. Right on, man. Well, excellent. I'm looking forward to trying more stuff from that beer. Thanks for uh, sharing your review. Absolutely. Once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you get a chance to try Cutthroat Cream Ale or, or really any beers from Imbibe, we want to know what you think, so don't hesitate to reach out. And if you post a cute pic of yourself drinking this or any other beer on your MySpace, tag us at Fresh Hop Cinema because you know we're in your top nine. Mm-hmm. You can also email us at fhccast at gmail.com. Or if you're enjoying the show, leave a rating, review, Uh, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Here is a trailer for this movie's week. Sure. The French Dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck-Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthal. Certainly the loudest artistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. The kids did this. Obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom, full stop. I'm naked, Mrs. Cremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell, which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. message from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Really? 
Don't cry in my office. That was a trailer for the brand new Wes Anderson joint, The French Dispatch. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. Subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts to hear this discussion in its entirety. It'll be available tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. on all podcast platforms. Here we go with our synopsis, Young Maxwell. Right. So where to begin with The French Dispatch? I suppose it's worth saying that unlike our film last week, Edgar Wright's The Last Night in Soho, this movie is in no way a departure from the stylistic tendencies of Wes Anderson. Uh, to refresh anybody unfamiliar with his name, he's the man behind the camera on films like The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Royal Tenenbaums, Isle of Dogs, which we covered on this show, by the way, and Moonrise Kingdom. He's easily got, I think, one of the most recognizable styles. I think of any director probably making movies definitely today, right? Mm-hmm. I'd say so. There's just like these certain hallmarks of a Wes Anderson movie. Like you've got your super symmetrical and super detailed frames. You got like whip pans and zooms and like this bubblegummy kind of pastel color palette and, and like this certain quirkiness to all the characters. So the French Dispatch basically tells the story of a fictional news publication run by a man named Arthur Howitzer Jr., played here by Bill Murray, uh, Howitzer's character is based more or less on the co-founder of The New Yorker named Harold Ross. In fact, a lot of this movie draws inspiration from The New Yorker and articles it's put out over the years, but uh, we'll get into that as we talk about this, I'm sure. This movie kicks off with the death of Howitzer and his final wishes that after his passing, the publication be discontinued except for one final issue, which would sort of include several of his favorite stories over the years, as well as his obituary. And the film plays out as if we, the audience, are kind of reading that final issue uh, making it a bit of an anthology movie. So after the initial introduction, we're given a brief tour of uh, of the city, Ennui sur Blase, by the paper's cycling journalist, Herb St. Sazerac, a wonderfully charming Owen Wilson. And it's not long before we're thrown back in time to our first story, The Concrete Masterpiece. And we can get into the specifics of some of these stories in a bit here. But first, Johnny Summers, where do you stand on Wes Anderson films? And what do you think of The French Dispatch? Well, I liked them by and large. I like... Out of the nine of his feature-length films that I have seen, I've seen nine out of ten of his yeah. feature-length. Yeah. Um, by and large, I like them quite a bit. Uh, there's definitely some that I enjoy significantly more, uh, and I don't know exactly where this is going to fit into that. We'll get mm-hmm. into that a little bit later. Um, so I wasn't necessarily prepared for the almost compilation of short films that this felt like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this movie had very defined chapters that were very different. And there were through lines of characters that were, you know, the people that worked in the office that we kind of saw at the beginning. And it was them telling their stories, you know, in the time that they were occurring. Um, I really enjoyed you know, one, maybe two of the the short story segments the anthology mm-hmm. segments, if you will. And one of them just really, I didn't enjoy it okay. all. Uh, it felt the most fragmented. Mm-hmm. I get what he was trying to do, but his movies and his style, I feel like rely so heavily on cohesion and the cohesion of the color palette throughout and the mm-hmm. cast mm-hmm. and the ability to build up the chemistry in that cast in a long format his style loses something when it's fragmented like this. And it left me feeling a bit cold about most of the characters. I don't think any of them really had time to breathe. And 
his signature of this big giant ensemble cast really felt cheapened and just not as present with the way it was segmented. Uh, I really enjoy his films that that have more of that throughout the whole thing. I mean, pretty much all of them. And I get that he wants to do something different at some point, but I don't know. There was just so much that left me wanting more. And there was some of it that was just outright wordy and boring that I was left pretty, pretty low on this movie. Not going to lie. So overall it was interesting in parts and it had some of the things that I wanted and a lot of things that just didn't work for me in its general construction. So I get that he was going for a vision, but for me, definitely not one of his stronger works. Well, to quote Jeffrey Wright's food journalist character in this movie, I couldn't agree less. I think this is great. Like I love Wes Anderson films. I, that said, I almost never know what they're about on a first watch because mm-hmm. I'm usually just so caught up in what's on screen. Like I read somewhere that there were, I think, 200 plus sets used in this movie and Jesus. every single frame is packed with things like things going on in the foreground, in the background, like people just doing stuff. And like his characters are always all so weird and fun. But I, I think more than anything, he does kind of what you're hitting on, which is just an excellent job in sort of creating places and tones. And I can see how wanting those to be a through line in the plot would be, would be important to somebody for me, not as much. I think this was great. Like I love seeing little snippets. I think for the most part, some of these stories could have lost my interest, but most of them last, what do you think? Like 25 to 30 minutes each, something like that. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, because the movie's runtime is an hour 43. So yeah, I think that's probably about right. And I, I think it was just enough time to get to know some of these characters. And we'll, again, I keep saying this, but we'll probably unpack some of these stories likely in the danger zone. But I, I worked, man. It, I worked. It worked for me. Um, <laughs> I think there's this assumption, or on another note, maybe, maybe an oversight by people that don't like Wes Anderson, who kind of chalk his work up to this sort of like arrested adolescence. And like to some extent, I can kind of see why. Like a lot of his character in his, in his movies, definitely the live action ones, like they almost act like the opposite of what they are. Like in, in so many of these movies, the kids somehow act like grownups and the grownups act like children. And it's probably pretty easy to write those characters off as just like immature, one-dimensional ones. But I think in most cases with his movies, including this one, if you take a deeper look, there's a lot more there. Something you might even call, if you're feeling saucy, maturity. Like you get these little moments throughout his movies, and this one too, where it feels like there's like this very intentional break in the absurdity and that Wes Anderson really wants to make a point. There's there's one that happens in this one uh, in the final story, which is which is titled The Private Dining Room of the Police Commissioner. Um, and we get this discussion after the fact between Bill Murray and Jeffrey Wright's characters. And again, Wright's, uh, basically he's like the, he's like the magazine's food journalist. So he travels and, you know, does that kind of thing. Uh, I won't give too much away, but the gist of the story is that Wright was basically going to attend this dinner party and do a feature on a famous chef. And then things go sideways when someone's kidnapped. Uh, anyways, the end, this conversation's happening between uh, Bill Murray and Wright and Wright's character admits that like he actually took something out of the story. And it's a quote by the chef played by Stephen Park. And I think it's one of the most touching monologues in the whole film. And I think there's a few. So after hearing it, Bill Murray's character just goes, well, that's the reason to write the story, which Mm. I feel like really sums up Wes Anderson's view on his characters in movies. Like, sure, there's a ton of goofiness, but deep down, there are like some real human moments that keep his movies, at least for me, far from being something even close to like shallow or immature. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, definitely. The, it, those moments add depth and, and make it kind of make his characters approachable. Totally. So for me, like you can, if, if those are the things keeping me invested, is like those little human moments. And of course the stuff I described, like the, the tones and set pieces and costumes and whatever, like this movie has all that. I think for me, I don't necessarily need the entire cohesive uh, plot or narrative necessarily, though I would still argue this has that, but maybe not with the giant cast, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had it in moments, and I was invested at times. Like the first act, we'll, we'll say this movie had three acts, just for conversation's sake. The three main stories, we'll call the three acts, or I will. Okay, okay, uh, sure. The first act really had me because there was, you know, the the pre act, the preamble. Yeah, let's yeah. Say, let's call it in a, the yeah, office. Like a preface, maybe. Yeah, uh, but the first act really had me. I the concrete really liked, masterpiece. Really liked Benicio del Toro okay. in that. And um, Adrian Brody, um, I wish he was in the whole movie. I loved his yeah. character and his acting and his just his wit and his style. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed the first act. Second act, I would have loved to have watched at home with subtitles because there was so much rapid fire dialogue. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I couldn't follow what okay. was going on or... <laughs> What the manifesto was supposed to be about, what they were protesting, it was just all happening very fast. I think this movie is definitely worth a second watch for me before for I completely, sure. yeah. I mean, disregard it, um, which I'm not disregarding it at all. I really, I enjoyed it in some mm-hmm. ways. It's mm-hmm. just in the Wes Anderson canal, can, went, ugh, Wes canal. Anderson <laughs> canon yeah. or catalog, it, um, it doesn't match up to some of my favorites, but okay. I think it's still worth a second watch. That's all I'm going to say for now because it would get spoilery. Uh, and also I might have had a really hard time paying attention staying awake in the third act. The third act being the private dining room of the police commissioner? Yeah. And, oh, man, it's, I only, it. it's, and it's one person's fault. You know who it is? Uh, I could definitely guess. Uh, 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 no, it's, who? It's, it's Jeffrey Wright and his silky, smooth, delicious voice. Dude. That just, it was like massaging my brain. I know. And it was so almost monotone, but with enough inflection to be interesting. But it was just like, I am, he was hypnotizing me. His That's, voice was legitimately hypnotizing in the third yeah, act. So yeah. I need to like watch this at noon on a Saturday with a cup of coffee and then we'll talk again. Yeah, dude, I, I like the idea of breaking these down by by chapters or by stories, you know? Um, I don't agree with you. I really, if anything, the most boring one for me was the concrete masterpiece. And that was like you're saying, Benicio del Toro is sort of this inmate who's locked up for a violent murder, double homicide, I think it is. But he's also this savant of a painter and he paints his, uh, what do you call those? Cell guard? Guard, that's the word. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. painting his guard played by Leah Seydoux. And then Adrian Brody, who is a nut, who's an art broker, but also in on like tax evasion or something. Like it turns into this whole thing. And I thought it was funny for a while, but that one dragged on for me a lot. Um, hmm. Maybe suiting, suit, suitably, suitingly, expectedly. I don't know. Revisions to a manifesto, which is the Timothy Chalamet, Francis McDormand thing. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I thought it was great. And then I also like, I liked most of them, you know, um, and we'll get into specifics of course, but uh, are there any particular performances? Cause we do have such a huge cast that you want to shout out. Uh, really did, like I said, Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody were amazing, and Leah Sadu. Is that how you say? Yeah, her Leah Sadu. Yeah, um, she was pretty awesome in the first one as well. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, amazing, a little too good mm-hmm. with his narration, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously Francis McDormand and Timothy Chalamet were uh, outstanding. And uh, one glaring thing that really bummed me out is there wasn't more Bill Murray. So a yeah. bunch of positives and one kind of aw. It's a Wes Anderson movie with Bill Murray. I want him to be right. like the main character, but 
I should just rewatch The Life Aquatic and shut up and be happy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Man, I, I love the, uh, yeah, the, the Timothy Chalamet, two weeks in a row on this show, by the way, last week with Dune. Um, he's he's great. He's so funny and, uh, like, he, he's sort of in charge of a revolution for y- youths in uh, in France. And there's mm-hmm. a scene where he's in a bathtub and Francis McDormand pulls the, pulls the, it was in the trailer, but pulls the curtain and he goes, I'm naked. She goes, I can see that. And then there's this really awkward pause, which is, I think, one of Wes Anderson's greatest editing brain things. He just, like, knows when to leave moments and then when to cut them. And then mm-hmm. right after this long pause, Timothy Chalamet's character goes something like, I'm shy about my muscles. Can you please leave? Like, oh, he says, I'm shy about my new muscles. My new <laughs> so, muscles, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's Man, there's so many moments that are that are very, very funny. But then there are those moments throughout that sort of just bring bring in some real emotion, which I really dug. Can we talk about one more thing here, or maybe two, um, which is sort of the use of color and or black and white throughout this movie? Mm-hmm. Like, I know Wes Anderson's kind of always played around with aspect ratios pretty freely. Like, this one's pretty much shot at 1.37 to 1, which we know as the Academy ratio, which definitely kind of helps evoke some of those vibes from films from this time period. But You just said that, like, we all know that, and I didn't know yes, that Yes, you did, of course. All. We all Good know sir. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But what he doesn't usually do, at least quite so often, is switch between color and black and white as much as he does in this movie. Like, it kind of changes a bit in each story, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, each one uses some combination of color and black and white. Like, in The Concrete Masterpiece, I think the only color was when we see his finished paintings, which makes total mm-hmm. sense. Like, something to pop and be amazing and get you out of the drab grays of the prison. Awesome. Like, in The Manifesto with, with Timmy Chalamet and Francis McDormand. I think black and white's used mostly to to get like the feelings of the times and like the French New Wave and film and like I'm sure there was some color in there but I can't remember. But then it, it was again. all in the the cafe. The cafe oh, yeah, was right, right. brilliantly totally. colored. Just gorgeous. Then it happens again in the dinner story when Wright's character thinks back on the past and it cuts uh just to this I think Leave Schreiber's TV interviewer asks him a question like do you remember this one thing and he has a not a photo a typographic memory so he remembers everything he's ever written which makes for a nice device. Um, but it cuts to black and white and he says something allegedly off the cuff that is another one of those like, oh, you just came up with that? That's amazing. And it really hits mm-hmm. home. But what, what did the color stuff do for you? Did, did it? Did you find it distracting or did it work? I didn't think it was distracting. I think it um, enhanced the dramatic. I think it definitely, it was there, it was pointed, and it wasn't super hard to ascertain what he was going for in any of the scenes that color was used because it was... It was used like punctuation. I mean, it was very, yeah, very yeah. clear what he was punctuating. I think it was a fun trick and it added such contrast because I think it's an interesting move when you are known for something like that mm-hmm. and then you take it away. Subversion, uh, it's, baby. It's, it's, it's subversion of expectations and of maybe being pigeonholed into being so stylized, you know, in a way, that, you know, like an Edgar Wright. Do something completely different that uh, removes you from the box that you might have even put yourself into. Absolutely. Johnny Summers, The French Dispatch, out of 10, what are you giving it? Out of 10, it feels like a 7.9 for me. That's, and that's upon first watch. So I'm putting a strong asterisk next to that. that I can't is talk today. remarkable because for me, it's an 8, and we will get into that in a little bit. But once again, you have been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, maybe on KZFR 90.1 FM. The French Dispatch is in theaters now. If you get a chance to see it, you got thoughts of your own. Find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema or send an email to fhccast at gmail.com. Or head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com, for film reviews, beer reviews, and podcast episodes dating all the way back to 2016. To our KZFR listeners, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, which includes spoilers for the French Dispatch, a second beer, and 
our discussion of Marvel's Eternals, plus the ever-unpredictable Hot and Bothered section, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to us, Fresh Hop Cinema. To those of you already listening on the podcast app, we will be right back to talk spoilers in the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Danger Zone. If you've never joined us for one of these before, it's the part of the show where we talk about, in this case, the French Dispatch, as if everybody listening has already seen it or just doesn't care if we spoil it, because spoil it, we shall, starting about now, I guess. Um, Johnny Summers, favorite skit. Give it to me. Not skit, but, you know, favorite story. Give it to me one act. more time. I gave us verbiage. It's act. It's act not one. act, though. It's story, because it's a, it's a paper. It's a magazine. It's the first story. It's the one thing that one of us can remember to say every time. <laughs> okay, fine. The first act. I guess it'd be the second act, though, wouldn't it? Uh, no, the first act after the intro. Okay, fair enough. The concrete masterpiece. Whatever. It's going to bug you if I keep saying intro, isn't it? It really is. I'm not sure why, but I can let it go yeah. in the interest of time. Um, Chapter one. Tilda Swinton. Uh, that was my favorite. Tilda Swinton was amazing as usual. She was a ridiculous character who... Apparently, sneak slideshows of her butt into <laughs> presentations. That, I laughed out loud at that. So, for those of you that haven't seen it and just want to hear us talk about it, she's basically presenting at a college or something, sort of the work of who I think at this point is deceased, Benicio del Toro's character, um, whose name is somewhere. I'll pull it up in a minute. But she's giving this lecture on kind of the importance of his work. And yeah, she sneaks in like an accidental picture of herself. And like at one point, she says, it was like a different time and I went over to see him and he tried to, well, he tried to fuck me. And like, it seems awkward, but she's also kind of proud of it. She's yeah. such a weirdo. It's so good. Yeah. She was real kooky. She's like, he locked me in the closet and then tried to, tried to fuck me. Yeah. And like kind of smiled to herself. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It's like when somebody's uh, like, it was the sixties, like that kind of right. vibe. Exactly. But I loved the uh, the interactions between Benicio Del Toro and Leah Sadu. Yeah. I thought they were excellent on screen together. Benicio Del Toro is kind of like an underrated, like actually good actor. Is he underrated? Uh, I don't think of him as having like depth of acting. I mean, he's been in some interesting stuff, but he's not like if I had to name you 10 amazing actors, he wouldn't be anywhere in mind. That's a short list, though. But yeah, that's fair. But I'm saying, like, he technically is, uh, I don't know. Do you think Benicio Del Toro would be qualified as A-list or B-list? Like, I, No, I'd say A-list for sure. He's definitely not someone that comes to mind as, like, an A-list amazing actor. I'm just, when's the last time you thought about a role that he was in that was like, damn, that's amazing. Actually. Before we were talking about him. Yesterday. But it's okay. a coin. I was I was catching up on Letterboxd and I had to write a review. Movie. No, it's because, okay, fair enough, the day before then. Because um, I was writing a review on Sicario for Letterboxd uh, and he's in that and okay. he's crazy in that he's so like there's some weird sort of silent danger to him but he's also this really calming presence I did mm. not like him in Marvel movies when he played the, the the collector I think was his character's name I don't even remember him in Marvel movies yeah he's like a goofball he's in Guardians of the Galaxy it doesn't matter it's not oh whatever. that's right he was but like he's I in the usual suspects like movies yeah but like the usual suspects is great when he's doing like, he's great in that he's great in a lot of stuff I'd say he's great good to great in most of the stuff he does did you ever see him in the movie Basic? N no. No. Oh, he's like a, uh, like a jungle survival trainer to like, he trains like the, the army rangers and stuff. Is to Tommy like, Lee Jones in that? Yes. I think you're thinking of, I think it's called like Hunted. I thought it was Basic. I'm pretty, I'm gonna check. I'm pretty I mean, sure. I think you might be right though. That sounds more right. It does, right? 
Yeah, uh, hunted sounds oh gosh, way more right. Google it, but he was awesome in that. Yeah, like a total the hunted. Excuse me, is the hunted two thousand three? Okay, yeah, that movie was dope. Yeah, I haven't seen that since I was like sixteen, but I remember right? liking it. Yeah, I remember being like, I need to buy a knife. I got to learn how to make tools out of like jungle stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hey, can we talk about the uh, the animated car chase at the end of this movie? In the at the end yeah, of the private was... dining room of the police commissioner. That was wild. You like it or no? It felt really out of pocket. Like mm-hmm. it came out of nowhere and it almost felt like budget cutty. Like they didn't have it left for a car chase. <laughs> I, mean, I doubt you know, it. Like, but so, maybe. They, so they just animated it. But yeah, like I said, you doubt it. They did use so many sets already, though, to add yeah, a whole right. car chase into that. Might have been crazy. Plus, some pretty wild, cartoony, unrealistic things happened in that car chase. So yeah. yeah. It was unexpected. Did it work for me? Well enough. Uh, I don't think it was perfect by any means, but it accomplished, I guess, what it was going for. So I took that as more of a way of them incorporating Jason Schwartzman's character, who uh, I don't think we've said what he does. But um, in addition to having a story credit on this movie, he was the the cartoonist at the paper. So you'd mm. see him like doing little doodles. Um, so I just took that as like the chapter was finishing up with him or the story or the act, whatever, was finishing up with him illustrating it, which I think worked pretty well in terms of the the narrative device of the whole film. That would make sense. Um, There's also some stop motion stuff that happened. I can't exactly remember when right now, but there were some explosions and, and like wood panels kind of exploding, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, just so like, like little bits of little splashes. Totally. So it was like every little touchstone of uh, Wes Anderson was kind of sprinkled throughout here, including Bill Murray. Like, I, I love Bill Murray. Me too. Wanted more of him. Um, do you have anything else on this? Um, I think I covered it all. I mean, without getting into the the nuts and bolts of yeah. what each single one was about, which I don't think is important. Um, I would be curious, like, if you have like a least favorite. You said it was maybe the first one for you. Yeah, maybe. I just it was interesting at first, but I, it kind of lost me by the end. I was like, okay, I get it. Like, moving right along. And the strongest. You was the second, probably the third, actually, the private dining room. I just the, okay. the turn that that takes, starting from like like that dinner scene, is funny enough. Like mm-hmm. I can't think of the man's name right now. I I can't. I don't even have time to look through the cast. There's way too many people. But there's the old dude. I think his name is Chauffleur in the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, uh, Matthew Amalric's character, who was the bad guy in um, Quantum of Solace, if you don't know, uh, mm-hmm. described this guy as like he used to be f- young and full of life, and now he looks like a corpse. Like those little <laughs> moments were so great. And then the fact that we get this kid to get kidnapped and then have this whole other uh, excursion and we get to meet Edward Norton's character and like all sorts of people, uh, Willem Dafoe. Um, I just, I enjoyed that. It was fast paced enough and it kept my interest and I got to, yeah, I just got to sit in that. And I, I dug that more than the excitement of the high class art dealing that was happening in the first one. Fair enough. Yeah. So people should watch this. I think we're both in agreement. Yeah, man. And I, I'm really stoked to see it again because there is, like I was saying in the beginning, like so much density in every single frame. There's a couple of great like um, side or side moving shots where people are holding little poses because we're getting like a quick overview. I think it's in Owen Wilson's bit in the beginning when he's on a bike. And it happens mm-hmm. a couple of times. But like people are just holding poses. It's not like they're frozen for real. They're just like you can see them like shaking a little bit. Like little mm-hmm. quirky stuff like that's great. So I want to go back and watch this movie again, paying or being able to pay more attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think one thing that I really like that's kind of in a lot, maybe all definitely a lot of his mm-hmm. movies is the kind of building cut in half type situation. Love it. Where you see Great example. Like the, what are they, what would they call that? Like a side splice, like what yeah. it, like a segment it's segmented. Sure. Yeah. It was really cool. I love it when they do that. It would just, just makes it like you said, so quirky and just, 
kind of silly. Like he's a great filmmaker, but it's not taking himself so seriously because it's like the side shot of the inside of like the airplane. There's never been an airplane that's put together like that. No, he no. <laughs> made it up. Like there should be beds here and sure. a bar here. You yeah. Know what I mean, well, yeah, I it's love like that. the Steve Zissou thing. It's like the, the, the boat and I can't think of the name of his boat right now, but we get a ton of that in that movie. And it's just, it just really like brings those areas and those scenes and those, um, those settings to life in a really, really fun, visually enticing way. I think. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of the way a 10-year-old would draw a treasure map or something. It just, right. It's nostalgic for something you don't exactly remember, but it makes you feel that way. And right. that's pretty cool. And then there's also the emotional gravity that I am arguing is there, which I think makes it even better. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think you're wrong. It was definitely there. Okay, do you have a beer at the ready, my friend? I do. It's time to get to our second beer. Okay, tell me about it. What is it? Where'd you get it? What's it called? All All that stuff. Also, just yeah, I, I took was, the description, I'm sorry, off of Untapped, and it seems to me that there were multiple versions of this beer, so just double-check that the one that is written on our notes is the one that you are holding in your hand. All right, so it's called, yo, we got to eat that avocado, like, right now. Is uh, it that this, avocado or this avocado? That avocado. Okay, my bad. Like, right now. Okay. It is a 6.8% ABV beer. It's in the Hype Can series from Seven Stills Brewery and Distillery. Mm-hmm. It's a West Coast Pale India Pale Ale or IPA made with Citra, New Zealand Rakua Rakao hops, yeah. and New Zealand Wakatu hops. Dope. And it contains no avocados. They're very clear to mention that. Good. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. I don't I'd, know. I'd good. try it. You know. Yeah, it's craft beer nerds. We'll try anything once. <laughs> so, uh, what is the description? Because I can confirm now. That it is correct. Uh, so this is described as clean and crisp with a hit of piney dankness from the New Zealand hops. This beer was made to be enjoyed fresh, just like an avocado. So don't let this one sit in your fridge. I like that. That's nice. Me too. I went out on a huge limb because this beer has no date on it, which is oh. really, really ironic for that description. Yeah. Uh, like, hey, guys. Yeah, right. If, any, if, if I have one complaint so far, seven stills. <laughs> You're making a beer that's made to be drink fresh. You even named it after an avocado, and you don't tell me what that time frame is. That's fair. Help me out here. Help me help you help us help everyone drink good beer. But, though though, if if Tim Obert, the CEO, had a comeback for that, he might say, hey, you want to talk about time? You should reach out to me not three hours before you record, and I think yeah. we'd be even. So, uh, guess, Tim, if but, you do get back to us before we do this, I'm sorry I couldn't include it, but thank you. Well, yeah, he's got he's got some time, so we'll see. Hey, this is Tim Obert, the CEO and founder of Seven Stills Brewery and Distillery. Yo, we got to eat this avocado like right now, or AVO for short, as we're going to call it um, for the rest of this, is the most recent release in our Hype Can series. All the beers in our Hype Can series are one-off releases and are our way of keeping things fun and new and to try things that we might not try otherwise. AVO is a West Coast IPA that we brewed because we're just really into drinking West Coast IPAs right now. We really like the idea of taking a little break from hazy IPAs to something that's more balanced, malt forward, hop forward, and pack the punch on the ABV front, but it's still super crushable. The beer actually doesn't have any avocado in it, but was suggested by our creative director, Amos McRae, because like an avocado, we wanted this beer to be consumed at peak freshness and to not wait too long to enjoy it. Um, so we hope that you all enjoy this new beer and look forward to seeing what you guys think about it on Untapped. Thanks. That being said, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to try it. I love the can. It's like like it's avocado colored, mm-hmm. you might imagine. It's it's a very 
avocado green and the the words are all like there's probably a word for that when you have letters and they're like smushed into a shape like didn't the beatles do that on the yellow submarine album definitely they might have yeah but like imagine that where all the letters are just squished to like into the mold of an avocado shape and that's what this is and the uh, c an avocado shaped like the pit and it's brown makes me really happy yeah i had never heard of seven stills so i was obviously intrigued the can grabbed me and it is a style that i like so here we go i'm gonna try it okay um yeah man i'm I, again i'm still kind of bummed that i can't try this but when you get a second tell me where you purchased this because i'm hoping i can get it when i get back to town so yeah, I got this at Curtis Park Market Damn in Sacramento. I was down there for work today. Don't you mm-hmm. come back uh, from Reno through Sac? No, no, I go up and around. Mm, okay, but you could. I could. That's you really did you did to. you only get one? Yeah, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Uh, I actually saw this around though. I saw this in Yuba City. It might even be getting to Chico. I don't know. I'll keep my eyes peeled. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I picked it up there, and I also picked up our beers for next week, which we'll preview later in the episode. Mm-hmm. You have to listen to the end if you want that. Ha ha, gotcha. Um, so yeah, it was cool looking, and it sounded like it was from a series of, of limited beers they did, and I'd never seen it anywhere. So I just assumed it was going to be fresh-ish, and I think those those uh, assumptions are correct. This beer tastes very fresh. Good. Before you tell me more, can you tell me, because the, the picture I'm looking at online has on the back of the can says hype can series release number something. Do we have a number on yours? This is number eight. Okay, great. That'll probably help with us dating it at some I, point. Probably. Uh, I know it tastes nice and fresh. It's super punchy. It's got big pine notes up front mm-hmm. and a really smooth hoppiness, very earthy and a little like not bitey and sharp. Uh, it's nice and piney up front, but those New Zealand hops are really mellow they have a nice smooth round bitterness uh combined with some of like the subtle sweetness of this that makes it really quite drinkable this is pretty good i'm uh, i'm impressed what's the uh, what's the carbonation like you drinking champagne you drinking soda pop you drinking milk <clears throat> definitely not champagne uh it's honestly a little less carbonated than the most ipas that i have it bubbles are real small like i've got some lacing mm-hmm. but it definitely does not taste very carbonated. Like it's not super airy in my mouth. Okay, that's good to know. That seems like it might make it kind of heavy. Is it not drinking that way though? Because you said it's only what six point uh, six point eight. Is that right? Yeah, I would say this is medium to above average heavy. Okay, about what you would expect for that ABV range craft beer. It doesn't sit notably heavy in any way. Just as about as much as I'd expect. So, um. It's not completely overwhelming, mm-hmm. and it's not underwhelming. You're this whelmed? is really just, I'm whelmed. Yeah. I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm not going to write a seven-page article about it, but it's nice. It's a very nice introduction to this brewery. I think it was, it was well-made. I definitely think it's above average. It's not offensive in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's smooth. It's easy drinking. This would be a great like after-work beer or maybe... Uh, you know, going on a bike ride somewhere, something like that. It's sure, it's nice. It's it's simple in that it relies on maybe some hops that you've never had. So it's definitely got some unique flavors and some unique mouthfeels from those New Zealand hops. Which I think I'm on record, and I'll continue that record right now by saying I like most of the hops that I've had from New Zealand. Yeah, uh, I, they're very earthy, but not in a dirt floor type way. Uh-huh. I know. 
I'm a big fan of Amarillo hops, and a lot of times those are entirely too earthy for you. Like, yeah. there's a certain amount of bitterness that comes with the earthiness in an Amarillo hop, like a dry dust. Yep. That these yep. don't have. I think this is a, a really toned back level of earthiness from like an Amarillo single hop beer. So I would say you might like this if you are in the mood for something with a bit more earth tones. Than, and and I, I gravitate towards that. I like piney, bitter, sharp, and I also really love the, that round, smooth earth tone with just enough sweetness in an IPA. So uh, I'm impressed. I like it. Yeah, man. I, I actually also really dig the New Zealand hops that we've had. I do think there's a sort of a, a distinction to be made when it comes to the flavor descriptor of earthiness. Like there's there's like the piney sort of foresty kind of earthiness. And then there's like the vegetal kind. So like if, if you asked me to make an IPA with three hops that I never wanted to have, it'd probably be like, yeah, uh, Amarillo, Azaka, Idaho 7. You could those take those out. Favorite. I know they are. Yeah. And you could take <laughs> those out of beers forever. And I think the world would be a better place, a beer to place. I'm not sure. Just just take them out and make beers for me with them. Just make them, yeah. Make make them with, uh, you know, mosaic and citra and and the brighter. Like, give me bright hops, but that's just me. So I'm I'm actually thinking you and I would disagree on this beer a bit. So I'm I'm less upset that I'm not able to drink it. Though I am still curious. But um, is there anything jumping out to you? As I think you said, there was nothing terribly offensive. So maybe not. Is that right? Nothing. Mm-mm. All right. Uh, it it's no. It's smooth. It's subtle. It's not really. It doesn't taste overly hoppy, which is wild. Like the the hops get a chance to shine, but it's definitely not in your face. Like I would guess the IBUs would be somewhere in like the forty range. Oh, okay, nice. So no, it's a nice, approachable, really good first impression of this brewery. I'm not not mad at this one bit. Okay, it's Johnny like, Summer. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm about to rate it. That's your thing. Thought. It's yeah, it's like a oh, it's like a six six. 6.66. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's yo. We got to eat that avocado like right now from Seven Stills out of San Francisco. Here comes a trailer for the newest Marvel film, Eternals. We're not going to spoil it just in case you haven't seen it, so don't go anywhere. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago. to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? We need to find the others. Seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. 
loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, you protect it. Fall collection. Ikea. 7,000 years ago, the Eternals, a race of immortal beings with superhuman powers, were charged with the protection of the human race against the cosmic and narratively unexplained deviants. Now, at the return of half the population, thanks to the Avengers, enough cosmic energy has been gathered to kickstart the emergence. With only seven days to come up with a plan, the Eternals need to come together as a team and convince each other to work together and convince us as the audience to care. Yeah, I'm already bored. Um, So I'm tipping my hand, obviously. But to cover my bases, this was directed by Chloe Zhao, who we are both fans of. She directed The Rider in 2017, I think, and then Nomadland with Frances McDormand last year. Which one best picture? Which um, was, I think, my favorite movie of last year. I think you are right. Um, it says a screenplay written by Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo with the story by Ryan and Kaz Furpo together. Bear with me as I tell you who's in this, and then I'm going to go through and kind of tell you their deal briefly. Ooh, let me tell, let me tell people their deals. Okay, well, f- okay. I, I didn't put her name, actually. I stopped telling people's names. But Gemma Chan is somebody. What does she do, Johnny? She's a sh- she shifts matter. She just met her. Her name is uh, her name is actually Cersei S E R S I, which there's also an appearance by Kit Harrington in this movie. And at one point he says, "I love you, Cersei." Kit Harrington is Jon Snow. That was weird to hear. Okay, yeah. We also have uh, Richard Madden. Uh, he flies and has laser eyes. His name's also Icarus. So a little on the nose, guys, but fine. Does he fly close to the sun? Yeah, you bet he smell? does. Um, Kumail Nanjiani's in this. His name's Kingo. And he shoots blasts. Yeah, he puts he gets like like kid style finger guns and goes pow pow whatever. Uh, Leah McHugh's in this also. His name is Sprite or she, her name is Sprite. Yeah, I thought you said Liam. My bad. Oh, no, that's fair. Uh, she she projects illusions. Yeah, she's like this permanently young, but not because they're immortal and super old. But she can like make people see stuff. Whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Lauren Ridloff plays Makari. She fast. Brian Tyree Henry, who is actually very good in this, plays Fastos. He gay. That's true. He's actually the Marvel Marvel's first openly gay character. He's also um, like a master of like weapons and technology kind of thing. Um, B- Barry Keoghan's in this. He plays Druig. He fucks with brains. <laughs> he can like hypnotize people. Um, Don Lee plays Gilgamesh. He punch. Sama Hayek plays Ajak. She heal. And then there's Angelina Jolie who plays Athena. She make weapons and she cray. Yeah, she is. There's a whole lot in this movie, but it's it's two and a half, two well two hours and thirty seven minutes long. Came out Why? November fifth, right? So here's the thing. I was stoked ish for Eternals. I was stoked in the sense that like, sure, I'll watch another Marvel movie. Why not? The difference is, and this is where this movie had a lot of work to do. Is like none of these characters are anybody we are invested in. Like at least for the other ones, like well, it's a you know it's a uh, what's a good example? Uh, I don't know. It's um. It's a Captain America movie, but like 
Iron Man's in it, like that kind of stuff. In this one, it's like a whole new cast. Why should we care? And I'm pretty mm-hmm. convinced there's not much of a reason. And they do really try to tie it into like Thanos and here's what's happening in the future. And it just really feels like Marvel setting the table for a pretty dissatisfying meal that I'm about to get in the next phase of whatever's coming next. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the special effects are very cool. There's these things called deviants, and I don't know if they explained it. I'm pretty sure they didn't. It's just like the Eternals were put on Earth to protect protect humans from deviants. Capital D. It's like part of the thing. The 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 legacy of these people. I don't know. But they can't the interfere cannon. with humans except to protect them from deviants. And then all of a sudden the deviants come back. So the Eternals are like, we're we gotta fight together. And then like they're trying whatever. There's a whole lot of shit that goes down. None of it really matters unless you're super into Marvel. Then this is crucial. But I, I'm not. So for me, this was like a solid-ish middle of the road to sort of lower echelon Marvel movie that I saw with some friends in a theater. Okay, I have questions. Sure. Uh, well, from the first of all, first of all, it's a statement from what I've seen and what I've uh, kind of extrapolated from the trailers. They are trying to create a new world, a new universe, some new canon with old existing characters mm. and create kind of a franchisable sequel-able. Sequelable. Sequelable. That's yeah. a word. I just made it up. Sure. Um, ensemble cast. Uh, and I have many questions. Did they give enough of the time for any of these characters to become likable, enjoyable, and two, did the ensemble aspect work or was that played out in Avengers? Yeah, I, I no, it's it's there's not a chance in hell that they let me do the count River. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten characters basically, plus some side characters. No way. Not in a four hour movie could you give those people time enough to develop uh even close to what might be considered personalities. And, and yeah, like the whole there's not even a good team building montage in this. And that's my favorite shit ever. And they don't even bother. How dare you? Yeah. We didn't get a montage. Really bummed me out. Um, it hurts. So no, dude, I, I don't know. And like the other bummer is like, they're not really that threatening as individuals. Like they basically have all the powers of Superman, but divided by 10. Oh, so they're like all one tenth Awesome. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, if if there were interesting characters to work with, but they do just seem like archetypes or vessels for the uh, the the purpose that they are going to eventually serve. And there's like twists and turns, and there's a couple of betrayals and whatever. It I it never hooked me. Okay, that's kind of what I was afraid of. And um, over under four sequels. I'm gonna say it's not exactly fair because I think I'm sort of looking at the list of movies, um, but under four. Depends. Okay. Well, it depends what you consider a sequel. Like, there's probably because there's always post credit scenes. So, like, if this ties into the next Spider-Man, does that count as a sequel to this? I don't think so, right? So, I mean, basically, how many more times are they going to dip into the ink of this well? No, a ton. They're going to do it in every movie. They're going to mention yeah. something. So we've got this whole new canon we have to worry about. Yeah, I, we said this. I think you and I did when we covered Endgame, which was like we've spent sort of, mm, I don't know, what was it like. 15 years sort of building up a fondness for these characters. And then Thanos was this impending threat. And then he was like dealt with. And I was like, all right, well that's sort of my investment in all this. And now I'm good. And I'll still see him like we've been doing, but I don't really care anymore. Like not in the same way that I did. Yeah. The stakes have been raised and raised and raised for so many years. And that whole thing was resolved. I get them wanting to go back and bring out, more obscure Marvel characters. Sure. I feel like there's some 
cooler ones that may, maybe could have like standalone movies instead of just throwing us into this this montage in this whole new universe with this giant ensemble cast yeah. with no background because so much of what worked about the Avengers and those giant ensemble casts was we had, you know, the 36 movies before that mm-hmm. to get to know these characters and love them and like be really sad when Tony Stark was not around anymore and like you know what I'm saying there's no no yeah. sense of there's it's, no stakes yeah. there's yeah. no stakes we just met these guys i don't give a shit if you die yeah um so that's eternals if you get a chance to see it it is in theaters now i'd i'd like to hear your thoughts um i'd be happy to to talk shop with you maybe i'm wrong tell me why uh, you can reach out to us at all this stuff that we said. Johnny, are you ready Rate for this hot? Thing. Oh, frick. I forgot I had to do that. Every single time. You know, it's happened two weeks in a row, but prior to that, it hasn't happened in a while. Um, You know, it's a... Ah. Uh, man, it's... I'm going to say it's a... I'm going to say... Ah. Uh, I'm going to say it's a four. All right. Yeah. Should I see it? No. I mean... Yeah, probably because like we do this show and like we're gonna it's gonna come up again. So yeah, you should probably see it. But I should see this when it comes out on Disney Plus for free. Huh? Probably, yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm gonna do that. You uh, you ready for I'm bothered? Let's do it. Hot Welcome to Hot and Bothered, everybody. I got a couple things real quick, which is that at the time of this episode being released, our November bar hang was uh, yesterday. And since I cannot see into the future, I will just say, Johnny, it was probably great having a beer with you. I've been out of town all week. So being back and having a beer, I believe this is at the burgers and brew. That'll be so much fun. So thanks for the good times, my friend and anybody else who ended up coming to that. Secondly, last Saturday, I played a show with my friends in the sun followers. I played lead guitar for a two hour show. That's all I did was just play lead guitar. It was at Mulberry station and it was super flipping fun. Nice. Did you shred some sweet riffs, bro? I actually did. Yeah, started getting into it. It was really, really fun. I had a nice time. Um, Excellent. Yeah. What about what about you, man? Sort of, sort of briefly, if you don't mind. Yeah, you got work to do. I huh? have work tonight. Yeah, <laughs> that's so weird. Uh, so yeah, it was a pretty mellow weekend. This was our first weekend back from Hawaii, so I wanted to keep it low key. Uh, got to hang out with friend of the show, uh, long time listener, mm-hmm. uh, longtime best friend of mine, Brian McAllister, came to town. So hung out with him Friday night through Sunday. Really just didn't do a whole lot. Like he had homework to work on. So we got real drunk, stayed up till 4 a.m. talking about Dune nice, uh, and science fiction and life and the world, uh, just drinking beers and catching up on Friday, which led to a pretty slow weekend. <laughs> I, I had to uh, be a person a little bit, get my life together to go get a new tattoo. So shout out to Kirsten, uh, who goes by babyghoul.tattoo on Instagram. Nice. She is a tattoo apprentice here in town, and she tattooed a sweet little snakehead on the back of my arm in a space that I had left. Cool. So uh, yeah, randomly got a new tattoo for fun and hung out with Brian. Other than that, watched football, drank beers, and uh, was just lazy in general because I was tired. So not much to report on my front. All right. Well, if you guys want to know what we're doing next week, you're going to have to check our social media because this show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi, everybody on Patreon, and our friends at The Handlebar. That's Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. Drink good beers, watch whatever movies make you happy, and always be excellent to each other. We love you, and we'll see you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.